So in summation, when you're thinking of inviting somebody or the art of invitation, just remember, I can't think of one kind vegetable. Interesting. The end. Help me, David. Help, help me, David. Hey, guys. Welcome to a week. Yeah, you can give David a round of applause. He, uh, we're glad he's part of our lives. Um, well, welcome you all to the first week of Surprise and everyone that's watching online. Um, it's amazing. Every single week we do have 70, 80, 90 people that are watching live during this service. And actually, uh, last week, a family from Denver came to Columbus. Uh, they had to have two teenage daughters, and the one daughter, it was her chance to pick where she wanted to go on vacation, like literally on vacation, and they picked, she said, I want to go to 514 Church, because they watch every week online, and I mean, that is so cool that they did that. Thank you for everyone for watching. They were dramatically disappointed after they came here. Um, no, they, actually, they came last week to church. We spent some time with them this week, went and got coffee with them, spent a whole hour and a half just talking with them, and then they, they, they've been around. They were here this morning, and so um, you guys are part of a community that's a little bigger than, than what you see and hear, and so we're super excited to start this series. Um, this is a series that uh, if I was going to title it more accurately, um, or not more accurately, but in a different fashion, I thought about calling this, this series Adjust, because that has a cool sound. Just kidding. Okay, I'm gonna, you guys with me? I'm, that's a bad joke, because adjust would be a horrible name for a title, right? Right? Like, hey, come to the series Adjustment. You guys need to make some adjustments. <laughs> that, I was going to call it Adjustment because one of the things we're going to do in this series is we're going to tackle some ideas, some things that we have assumed, some ideas that have been taught to us, and we're going to adjust. And I have a challenge for anyone that's in the room that grew up in the church and maybe have studied the scriptures or studied the faith a little bit. Um, and I, I, I seriously have this, this thought that continue, continues to go through my mind as I continue to grow and learn, and that is that if you're not constantly adjusting what you think, what you believe, what your theology is or what you think about when you think about God, then um, you're in trouble. Because not adjusting is the same thing as saying or living out that whatever you learned the first time, you're stuck in and that's the answer. And that's a very dangerous way to live. Right now, my daughter is in kindergarten, or she's in preschool, and she's learning a bunch of stuff about human emotion and what the different uh, emotion zones are, like red and blue and green, and she's talking about that. And last night, she was on a sleeping bag next to my bed, and, and she goes, Dad, I'm feeling very um, blue, which is tired, sad, or something. And she, I was like, but you're tired, right? And she's like, yeah, I'm tired. And I was like, man, how did you know that? And she goes, my school taught me. And then I go, well, that's great. So you're learning your blue. She goes, yeah. She goes, my school teaches me everything. I know, I, she said something like, I know all things because of school now. And I was like, man, that's the way some people think about theology. They learn one thing or one idea. And because when you learn that thing or certain parts of theology, it's so rich and it's so meaningful. And like, 
there's this idea you learn about Jesus and you learn about the resurrection and you learn about Easter and all, and then there's all this other stuff that comes with it, like the culture or different beliefs about the Bible. And what happens is, is because a certain part was so rich, you galvanize it and then everything else is just as true as that piece. When in reality, there's parts of our faith that should never change and there are parts that should constantly change. And so as followers, as Christians, we should be making adjustments. We should be constantly growing and changing what we thought. Um, another way to put this is sometimes there's fundamentals of, a, of the faith. Uh, well, there are fundamentals of the faith. But sometimes what we do with those fundamentals is we put them like dominoes next to non-fundamentals of the faith. What happens then is if one of those non-fundamentals gets tipped over, it, in our mind, can knock over the whole deal. So we throw the baby out with the bathwater because a certain part of our faith that we thought existed, now it's not quite what we thought, and that makes us question the whole thing. What we want to do with faith is set up our thinking like a pyramid where there's fundamentals, things that will never change. These are things like the deity of Christ, like the resurrection of Jesus, especially in the Christian faith. That is the fundamental. Paul says, without it, everything else is in vain. So imagine taking the resurrection of Christ and putting uh, on the same level of it or setting it up like a domino and putting it next to the rapture theology. So if you believe in the resurrection the same way you think about the rapture, well, what if that all changes? Now the resurrection goes away. Don't do that. Set it up like a pyramid where there's fundamentals and then there's other pieces that grow upon that. And then you can move those parts around and make adjustments to what your pyramid looks like without ever breaking the foundation. And so today, this series in, in the next couple of weeks is called Surprise because I believe that if you have that disposition towards your faith and your thinking and what you believe about God, that it's really, really fun. That as you go through thinking and growing, that you will have these ideas that have been given to you or thoughts that you've based your faith upon. And as you continue to learn, then it's really fun to like say, what else? How else can I learn? And it's like, oh, I love my faith. I love Jesus. Nothing's going to change. I'm going to learn more about certain pieces. And then at some point, this thing better work. It needs to work because, oh, I, I, that's what happens. So I believe that our faith should be more like a surprise, right? Where like we have certain things we believe, but then as we're investigating, we're thinking, we're learning, it's like every single time, it's like Will Ferrell every time. I don't know what it's going to I mean, seriously, that was legit. I, I promise. I'm not that good of an actor. Like that made me. But that's what should happen when we crank through our thinking, we get surprised, we get excited. We learn something new. And when it becomes new, it becomes more real. And I believe that the faith has so many beautiful things that if we continue to learn and investigate, that we'll be changed by them and it will actually matter. So this series is called Surprise the Way, Better Than You Thought. The early church, the first century church, the church that existed literally the 10, 20 years after the life of Christ was called the way. It wasn't called the church. It was called the way. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, when the church is called Christians, it's actually in a derogatory fashion. Christians, those little Christs, those, those insignificant band of Jewish rebels that are following that Christ guy, Christians. It was a derogatory term. They were actually called the way because Jesus had said of himself that he's the way and they were following the way. And so what's happened 
is over the past 2,000 years, we have taken some ideas and we have made those things about the way. We've made them um, kind of more important or we've grabbed onto certain ideas more than we should. And I think that some of those ideas um, uh, make the faith watered down and make it less exciting. I think that when we look at what the way from the very beginning truly is and what some of the ideas are about the Christian faith, that the way is actually a lot better than you thought. So it's way better than you thought. There's some ideas that we've grabbed onto that I think steal from what the faith is. And if we look back again, we'll be surprised and we'll be like, this is way better than I thought. So if you're in the room today, and we always do this, and I always do this before every message, I try to think, who's here? Who's here? And what I mean by who's here is, where are you coming from? Some people in this room have grown up, and you're in the church, and you've studied theology, you've studied the New Testament, you've studied eschatology, which is like end times thought, you've studied ecclesiology, the study of the church, you've studied all kinds of stuff, and those words mean something, to you hermeneutics, and you just start to, you know what I'm talking about when I start to use those words, and what they all mean, and how to interpret, and then some of you are like, I grew up in a church, but I never learned the Bible, and I believe basically in my faith, and, and I'm still trying to figure it out, and some of you grew up in a mainline church, where you, you went all the time, um, and it wasn't necessarily bad, but you didn't learn certain things, so you hear things about the scriptures, and your faith tradition didn't unpack scriptures in front of you very much and teach it to you, so it's all new. And then some of you are like, you know, I just want to be a good person, and like, I believe in God, and I think Jesus, and I'm here. And so we know when we get up and talk that the room has a myriad, a whole like, a whole like swath of different types of people. And so... With this, this series, I'm going to talk about some things that I think for those that didn't grow up in the church, you'll still have some ideas around these thoughts that I think when they're enhanced with what I believe the scriptures teach, that you'll go, oh, that's surprisingly better. And then for some of us that grew up in the church, there's some things that you hold dear, right? Some ideas that I don't think should be fundamental, but actually change the way you live your life and they matter significantly, but you've grabbed onto some different ideas, and I'm going to challenge some of those ideas, and it might make you feel a little unsettled, it might make you feel a little uncomfortable, but I just want you to hang with me through the whole series that allow yourself to go through adjustments. You need to make adjustments. So if you're open to the spirit of, hey, I'm, there's no way I've learned all I can learn. Imagine the, the, the arrogance of saying, you know, I'm done learning today. Like, I don't need to know anything else there is to know, and uh, everything I think about God is sealed, signed, sealed, delivered forever. That's a bad place to be. I'm not in that place. I'm a spiritual leader, and so I'm constantly growing and learning. I want to challenge you to do the same. I've been on this journey for over a year where I've been taking some of these ideas and unpacking them in a different fashion. And so, with that, after 10-minute introduction, I'm going to start this, this surprise day one, and I want to go with you. And I thought, you know, surprise is such a great idea. It's so exciting. It's so, it's so beautiful. It's like, ah, surprise. I mean, there's nothing like a good surprise birthday party, and there's nothing like a good surprise, something give, you get something you didn't expect, nothing like it. And so it's such a great feeling. So I thought with that idea, we would start with a really fun question. <laughs> what happens when we die? What a fun thought. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad I came to church. Now, this is a fundamental thing. There are some ideas that we all have um, regarding the answer to this question that I want to take and unpack a little bit today. Because we all have these ideas about what happens when we die. And 
you might not want to think about that right now. It's very difficult to think about that because actually you know that it's, it's going to happen. And it's very bad. It's very awful to, to experience death, to be around death, to, to feel like you might die, to feel like someone you love might die, to actually lose a loved one. It is awful. It's, it, it's horrific. And so, but it's so horrific that just like anything that hurts, we want to stay away from it. But we care so much about this question because we're constantly faced with its realities. And some of us get to that place where someone we love is passed away or someone we love is getting sick or we're getting sick or we almost have a near-death experience. It's all different things happen that bring us to this place where we have to kind of answer this question. And as a pastor, I, you know, I'm around death a lot. I, I sit with people who have lost loved ones. I do funerals. And I know people that they never thought about this. They never thought really specifically and articulated the answer to this question. What happens when you die? And then they're at a funeral. They're at, their friend is getting sick. Or they're, and they start talking um, ideas. Well, hey, you know, if, if this happens, then at least I'll be in heaven. Or at least we'll be. And so it's these ideas, whether you grew up in the church or not, they start to come out. And ultimately, the idea that starts to come out is, is more specifically this question, where are we going to spend eternity? Because when someone dies, all of us know when we go to a funeral, there's a body. And if you have a loved one that's passed away and you've been to a funeral where there's an open casket, um, you know. Well, that's not them. Right? Everyone says that. That's not them. That's just their body. Right? And so we, we, we look at a body and we go, that, that's not them. There must be a spiritual world. And so we answer this question with, with this idea that there has to be an answer for why there's a body there, but it's a lifeless body and there's no, no movement, no animation, nothing, and that's not them. So, but they're eternal and we have this idea basically that we're eternal beings. If we grew up in the West and we have a little bit of that has affected us. So whether we believe in Jesus or not, we have this idea of eternity. And so we kind of answer this question, well, they must be in heaven, right? They must be in heaven. And so we start to kind of rationalize and answer the question, what happens when we die and where do we go for eternity with this picture of heaven? And the reason why heaven has informed so many of us is it's in movies. I mean, I remember growing up watching that movie, Oh God, You Devil. Remember that? You remember that with the, the guy that played both the devil and, you know, God? And so we start thinking about what heaven is like. There's movies. I mean, there's songs. I can only imagine. There's all kinds of stuff that paints a picture of heaven for us, whether we grew up in the church or not. Now, if you grew up in the church, you have this picture of heaven. And I grew up, you know, in, in what would be called this Bible-believing church, uh, mostly good stuff and intentions all good. And the picture that was painted of heaven for me was one that, if you think about it, like I... It's, it's, inter it's interesting, but uh, we all, in our faith, in Christ, we have come to the place where what we think about when we think about death and what happens is this, and most of us agree with this. When we die, if we know Jesus, our spirits leave our bodies and go to heaven. Now, raise your hand if you have ever thought that or you think that now, right? Yes, most of us, if we're honest, we say, when we die, our bodies, there's a body, empty body, spirit must be somewhere else, no animation, there they go. And so we were told, 
Well, don't worry when that happens because there's something beautiful. There's a hope for your spirit, right? And this is, this is displayed in all kinds of movies and all throughout the past 400 years. And there's this whole world that's been painted for us of you know, Dante's Inferno and The Last Judgment, Michelangelo, and then pop movies and this idea of going to heaven. I can only imagine all this stuff. And we have this idea that one day. Now for me, when I think about what the real picture of heaven and our spirits leaving our body, what it really looks like, it's kind of interesting. And I think it's worth recalibrating and looking at. Because here's what was painted for me. When you die, there's a passage in the New Testament, in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in the New Testament scriptures, talks about how Jesus will wipe away all of our tears. Raise your hand if you heard that passage. Right? Funerals, someone dies, this becomes the hope. And so ultimately, there's this picture that when I die, that because of the pain of earth, I'm going to sit on Jesus' lap, and he's going to wipe away my tears. Well, that's a nice thought. So if you're hurting, obviously, you're going to be crying, get to heaven. Jesus is going to be on a throne. He's going to wipe away my tears. Interesting. I don't know if I want to do that forever. Guys out there, how many people want to sit on Jesus' lap? Mm, not me ever. Uh, come here, Joel, sit on my lap and wipe away your tears. Can you just hand me the handkerchief, dude? Like, I can wipe my own tears. Thank you very much. Oh, but that's not it. The, the other, other classic picture of what happens to the spirit. So my spirit's going to go up, and somehow I'm going to be a spirit, but I'm going to have, a, you know, I'm going to sit on his lap. And then it's going to be, obviously, all the classic stuff, streets of gold, crystal sea, right? And then there's pictures in the scriptures, Old Testament and New, of there's a throne, and there's singing, and there's angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, right? So it's not just sitting and wiping away tears. Now it's we're singing all day long. Interesting. Not sure I want to sing. Guys, how many guys out there are excited to go to heaven to sing all day long? And actually, it's not all day long. It's for eternity. Now, I love to sing. I love it. I, I'm a singer. I was a worship leader. I mean, I love to sing. But I got to tell you, about an hour, full on singing, that's all I got. And then I'm done. I mean, I went to 21 Pilots two days in a row, Madison Square Garden, two years ago. Right? And you can ask John. I was with John. And... The first show, I stood up the whole time. Good seats right there, singing along. Second show, I sat down the whole time. Because I'm like, you know, I can't just sit around and sing all day. we got to end the singing. So here's the picture. When we die, our spirits go get a seat in Jesus' lap, and we sing for eternity. Now, I don't know about you. Not exciting to me. Not exciting to me. Not a real good picture of hope. But I guess that's better than the alternative. And this is what we learn. So here we are on earth. There's some good parts of earth. There's some bad parts of earth. If we know Jesus, then we get to go sit on a lap, golden streets, crystal sea, holy, holy, holy for eternity. Or we get to spend eternity with this guy. Okay. I guess I pick sitting on Jesus' lap. Now, this is exaggerated, obviously, but ultimately it represents a very real part of Western hope, where we believe in our culture that our bodies, 
are going to stay here. Go into the dirt, stay in the dirt forever, and then that one day our you know, spirits are going to go up into heaven that day that we die. And ultimately, this idea is not a Jewish idea. And so for us to understand the hope that Jesus brought, we have to understand that the way God communicated hope and the message of the human trajectory and, and, and the message of, of what life will look like for humans is through a people group called the Jews that had a very, very different idea of what hope was and what the trajectory of humans were. Now, a lot of us, we have this idea of, of humans being spirit and body and soul and body and that idea. But honestly, the Jews thought very, very differently. They didn't believe we were body and soul. They thought we were, whole. they thought we were holes. They thought that the soul was part of the body and the body was part of the soul and was all part of it together. The idea is very, very Jewish. And so for us to understand the trajectory that the scriptures say about humanity versus this idea I just shared with you, we have to get back to a Jewish root to see the way they really thought and then figure out where it went wrong. Because Jews don't think that they're gonna spend eternity in a place up there in heaven in a spiritual realm and their bodies are just gonna end up on earth and the earth is just gonna get crumpled up and thrown away. There's a lot of different ways to teach this, but to Christians in the post-Christ time, I think one of the best ways to show that Jews don't think this way is through a story that we all know very well, and that's from the, um, the story that we know of Lazarus, who died, and Jesus rose him from the dead. And we read about the story in John chapter 11. Jesus shows up three days late. Lazarus is dead, and Mary and Martha are very, very sad, and he's sad with them. And we talk about how it's great that Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead, and he was still crying. He's human. He cares. It's a great story. Ultimately, Jesus ends up going to the graveside, and Martha is there, and she's angry. She's sad. She's crying. And Jesus says to her, he will resurrect. He will rise again. Now, those of us that know the story and grew up in the church, we know that Jesus is talking about what he's about to do. But Martha doesn't know what he's about to do. So what Martha says is not a commentary on what he's about to do, it's a commentary on what she believes the trajectory of humanity is. And she says this, Martha responds, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so in that response, we see that Jews always believed that humans were gonna raise from the dead. You see, there's a bunch of passages in the Old Testament, specifically in Daniel and some other ones, if you want to go dive into why they thought this, that they believed that earth was actually the home of humanity and that one day, even though death would come, they would rise again and God would fix everything and God would bring everything back to the way it was supposed to be. Not somewhere else, earth. On earth, with God, after the resurrection. And so then Jesus goes and does his thing. So the question is, why do we think that our bodies are just going to go into the ground and eternity is up there? Why do we think that we're going to die and then we're going to end up up there? It, it, there's, there's a couple different reasons, but one of the main reasons is something that happened about 40 years after the life of Christ. So Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and then he gathered all those that followed him and loved him and believed in him and, 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 and wanted to be a part of his resurrection kingdom. 
And he said, now go tell the whole world about my kingdom. And he tells them, go here, and then go to the next town, and then go all over the world. Very dramatic. Never in the history of humanity was a religion um, given the direction to go to the nations. Never. It was never done before. Evangelism was a totally radical new thing at the time of Christ. To say, take what you believe and take it to people that you've never met before that are on the other side of the world and bring that kingdom to them was a totally radical idea. It's one of the reasons that Christianity is so prevalent today is because it just tried to be. It just moved. And most religions up until that point didn't move. But God had a moving religion that said, go and tell them. At any rate, Jesus, when he told those guys, they believed, based upon some of the things that Jesus had said during his life, that as they went out all the way to Rome, to the big kingdoms, to tell everybody about the kingdom of God and this Jesus that they know, that they'd seen that rose from the dead, they believed that Jesus, in their lifetime, was going to bring the kingdom of God fully to earth. Fully to earth. That the Jews and the Jewish people would become the kingdom people of God and Jerusalem would become like the Rome of earth and all of creation. They believed they were representatives of this kingdom of God that was stronger than anything on the earth and stronger than anything ever created. And so they lived that way and they believed that the earth and taking the kingdom everywhere mattered. That it mattered, man, so they did it. Something happened, though, that broke their faith in that. In 70 AD, the Romans, during the Jewish-Roman War, attacked and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, and they destroyed it. They destroyed it. You can go read about, in 70 AD, Titus moving into Jerusalem. Over a million people die. Hundreds of thousands of people turn into slaves, marched all the way to Rome, crucified, uh, hundreds of thousands of people were put into the Colosseum to just be sport and killed in front of the masses. And everything that mattered to the Jewish people was destroyed and set on fire. The temple, which was Herod's temple, which was this massive building, was literally unearthed and thrown down and destroyed. Jesus said that would happen. They didn't understand it. And it got totally destroyed. All of the artifacts of worship that, that were in the temple for the Jews were taken out. This was an abomination of desolation for those of you that know what I'm talking about, grew up in the church. The abomination, this is an abomination, a horrible thing. Take all of that, that which mattered to God in the sacrificial temple worship system and they actually took it and marched it and marched into Rome with it. If you go to Rome, you can see the Arch of Titus. On the side of it, there's a, a king walking in with what looks like a menorah and looks like an ark, and there's all this stuff and theories about maybe the Ark of the Covenant is there, all this. Anyway, the idea is that when that happened, Christians that were kingdom Christians, that were the way, that were like, this thing we're taking all over the earth, they, they took a pause. And they went, maybe the literal earthly kingdom of God that we've been expecting isn't going to happen because Man, the last thing that would happen if God was going to bring his kingdom to earth is what just happened. And so over the next 30 or 40 years, Christianity, the way, the people that followed Jesus, there were schisms, there were splits, there were divides. And there was a group that grew out of the early Christians called the Gnostics, and they started something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a way to rationalize and understand the events, they said, well, if there's not going to be an earthly kingdom, 
then you know what? I guess we have to figure out that the earth is going to be destroyed. They took what happened to Jerusalem and they thought, well, then God must, he's going to destroy all the earth. And that means all of our bodies are going to be destroyed. And they went ahead and they figured out a way to understand what happens when someone dies. Someone dies, there's no spirit there. So they went ahead and they created a whole approach to looking at life that you and I are affected by today called dualistic anthropology. And the idea is that humans are split. That once your body dies, your spirit is going somewhere else, not here, because look what happened to Jerusalem, a heaven, wherever God is, and we're going to spend eternity there, and that must be what Jesus was talking about. When he was talking about the kingdom, he must have meant that when our bodies die spiritually, we'll go to heaven. And so with that lens, all of interpretation of the Western world was affected. Jewish thinking, which was concrete, this idea of earth, bodies, real life here under this dome that we call planet Earth. And the Christian idea got shifted and it trickled down into a different idea, which I think is a lower idea, but in their eyes it was a higher idea to something that was conceptualized. Gnosticism, what it does is it tries to make something intellectual. If it's not real and I can't touch it and it's not a real kingdom and it's not earth and it's not salt water and it's not bodies and flesh and it's not real, then it must be something that we can figure out to live in in the mind. Now, ultimately, all of us, for the most part, because we grew up in the West and this idea affected all of our thinking, we all think this way. It's just the way we're naturally wired. And it's been proven through different little tests and stuff. Here's one of the tests that was proven. If you go to a bunch of Western American seminary students and ask them this question, their answer is indicative of this whole conceptual type of thinking. If you ask them this question, what is God like? What is God like? And this actually happened in a, a, a someone studied it and the answers were God is love. God is righteous. God is good. God is, you fill in the blank, love. All of us, if we were asked that question, that's how we would go to. What is God like? God is love. God is just. God is right. And, and that's not wrong, right? I mean, you're, you're sitting in there going, you're sitting out there going, Joel, if you're telling me that that's not right, I'm out of here. No, it's not that it's not right. It's just the way that your mind works. We think of God conceptually, the concept. It's intellectual. God is just. God is love. God is good. It's an idea. It's in your head. Jews, and actually real Jews were asked in seminary studying scriptures. It, recently, they were asked, what is God like? And their answer shows the difference I'm trying to tell you. Their answer is God is bread. God is like stone. God is like water. They don't believe that God is this up there thing that we have to wrap terms around. Now they have ideas that God is love, even in the New Testament, it said that God is love. But it's not exclusively conceptual. Their main idea is resurrection life, earth. Everything is here that God made, we're made in his image, this is the real place, it's all broken, it's gonna get fixed one day, but we're not all going somewhere else. We're not evacuating this thing that he made. God is going to bring his kingdom and fix this broken, beautiful thing and that's how we view God. We view God much more concretely. It's real. He's, he's real. It's one of the reasons 
that God became a man. Because he's not just trying to communicate with you and me today, because he knows that that transcends and that idea is amazing for all of us. But the reason that he did it for the Jews is because they saw a man. Their whole lives and all of their history was about God using a man, Moses, then God using a man, David, then God using Elijah, and teaching the story. Now the the God becomes a man that you can talk to that said things? That's real. That's real. Jews saw the world and what God was going to do in the world as not an idea, but a reality that you could touch and see and experience. And so Jesus, now we have this lens, if we can all train our mind to think more concretely and not so conceptually, we can start to understand that God is not going to conceptually save us. He's going to concretely save us. Fully. This should start to get you excited. Now, if you grew up in the church, this should be like, oh, that's a nice surprise. This is a little more home than you thought. Jesus, when he first taught what it meant to bring the kingdom of God to earth, to connect with God from earth. The first time he ever taught this, he shows us this idea. In Matthew chapter six, in, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how to pray. I've talked about this before. He says, pray this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. On earth, as it is in heaven. His whole thing was, the kingdom is coming back to earth. We want whatever is happening in God's space to happen on this earthly planet. So here's the surprise. Surprise, my friends. The future is here. The future is here, like prepositionally. We think when we die, the future is over here. But actually, the future is right where we are, right here. God is going to shake this space up. He's going to renew it. He's going to give you a new body. He's going to fix the trees. He's going to fix it all. He's going to bring it all back to the way it was supposed to be. Now, when you look at this verse and you go, wait a minute, you start to, I know if you grew up in the church, you start to ask questions. Wait a minute, if if the heaven is up there and, and we're down here and the kingdom come, come from where? Where's it coming? I know, I know. Here's all you need to know. And we'll start down this dialogue. And if you're interested in this stuff, keep coming to church. If not, I don't know, go to, uh, BW3s, I don't know. Um, but here's the deal. Heaven is simply God's space. It's God's space. And I want to challenge you. We don't know as much about it as we thought, but we know that it's where God's space is. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he moved in and out of his space. Disappeared, came back. The idea is that heaven's not, not, maybe not as far away as you thought. And so heaven is God's space. And ultimately, when God created this place, he made his space our place. We were in the same place. If you really want to start to understand some of the theologies of God and this whole trajectory, you got to back up a little bit and not just look at the different pieces, but just look at the story of how God has interacted with man from the very beginning as it's revealed through the Old Testament scriptures and through the New Testament scriptures. Because here's what they teach us, that God made a place called Eden. And it represented pleasure, perfection, and plenty on earth. Uh, the idea is that the word uh, it represents growth and fruit. And pleasure is actually one of the words that they think kind of represents this word Eden. Pleasure, that you would have from the earth the things that would sustain you. And in that place that God made, he was there and he put himself there with us. 
And ultimately, Eden is the first temple, and earth is a temple in the narrative. So the whole idea that you and I have of idol worship and temple worship, it all comes from the way God originally designed worship to take place. In the first temple, God makes heaven and earth, and Eden, he puts his images, idols, that's what the word means, idols, into the first temple, and there they are supposed to be, God with his images in the temple. Now, at some point, that all got messed up, but Eden represents being fully together with God. And everything that happened after that was to get back to that. Everything. God wants to be with you fully in a pleasurable place. You're his, his image. He wants to love you and know you, and he wants you to love him and know him. That's the way it was designed, and that's the way it was at first. And then the idols, imagine, the image bearers, put their fist up to God and said, we're going to do it our way. The images left the temple. The God left the temple. God went to a different space. Our space was here without God. And then God said, you know what I'm going to do? I want to redeem my people. I want to get back together with God. So he decided to use a group of people to teach his redemption story to and to bring redemption to the world, to fix this brokenness. So he told them, after he set them free from slavery, he said, now go make a tabernacle or a temple, which represents this idea that God would now start to move back into human space. And the temple or the tabernacle, because he actually doesn't necessarily want him to make a temple, he wanted to make a tabernacle because the tabernacle was a tent and it could move around and God did that on purpose because he never wanted us to think that God wasn't mobile. God can go with you anywhere. It's kind of a cool little lesson. But the idea of the temple is this, that now we're partially together with God, that the law exists and now we have to go through all these hoops to understand how amazing God is and only certain people can get really close to God because they're not perfect and in order for us to have a restored relationship with God the way it was at the beginning, something has to happen in order for that to happen. And the law is, as the Bible says, is the schoolmaster. Every time we try to do something right, it slaps us on the wrist. It's a tutor is what the Bible says. Nope. See, nope, you're not good enough. Nope, you're not, you're not forgiven enough. Nope, you can't. You're not good enough to be, nope. And so we move in. We have a lamb. Oh, we're not good enough. We need to sacrifice a lamb to, to take care of our sin. Yep, okay, you can have a relationship with God. Oh, you sinned again. Doesn't work. Partially together. Beginning, Eden, God and man together. Brokenness happens. The temple happens. Oh, I really want a relationship with you. Really bad. But you see how it won't work unless something dies? Unless something pays for your sin? It won't work. So I'll fix it. And then he does his big move. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to bring myself to you. I'm going to be your sacrifice and your savior and your spirit. Whew, you grew up in the church just to get you excited. I'm going to be your sacrifice to take away your sins. I'm going to be your savior to give you new life. And I'm going to give you the spirit so that while the kingdom is starting to bring full fruition to, of itself to earth, you can spread it until I get back. Mm, the music started. This is, the, this is the rhythm. This is what God wants to do. God brings himself to earth to fix the brokenness that was caused in the beginning. And he gives a spirit to the people that follow him on earth. Now, in the New Testament, the spirit of God is called the down payment. So ultimately, Jesus and his spirit represent the inauguration of a kingdom, the beginning of the kingdom coming to earth, and the down payment of the Spirit of God. 
Now, you and I, if you've ever bought a house, you put a down payment on a house. The, the thinking that so many have believed for so many years is that God put a down payment here, but then he's gonna just burn up the house and never close. Why would you ever, if you were buying a $150,000 house, put $20,000 down on that house, and then five years later, go light a match to it? Wouldn't you, if you were going, if you bought a house and you put $20,000 down, wouldn't you then start to move in, bring your stuff, invest? That's the picture. God gave us Jesus, then he gave us his spirit as the down payment, as here's the beginning of the kingdom of God coming to earth. And over the next however many years, I will, through my church, start to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God here. So your trajectory is not there. It's here. Because I made an investment with Jesus. I made an investment with my spirit. This is where we're all going. It's a down payment of the kingdom of God on earth. On earth. And so when you start to think about God and you think about hope, we don't have to put our minds in this space of my spirit's going to be up there. You can take this. Here's the deal about death. So many of us hate a part of life so much that we want to leave this place. And it makes the rest of us sad. Because we, we go, there's so much good. There's so much good. What? But they, some of us have tasted so much of the bad that we just want to get out of here. But some of us are in here, and th this is where this hits you and me. There's so much good that you've experienced. Your kids, your life, swimming in the ocean, tasting food, experiencing relationships. There's so much good that the idea of death is like, no, I, I don't wanna leave that, especially if you're young, or this is why it strikes a chord that is hard to understand when someone young passes because we go, they miss so much what of the good. There's so much good. And for some reason, because of this Gnostic mindset, we have put a lens over the good and said, we're going to leave all and go somewhere else. That's how we have to rationalize it. But that's not the plan. The plan is that God made something good. And everything that you experience that's good right now, that's from God. He made that. And all the bad that has seeped into that, God is on mission through the kingdom of God, the giving of Jesus Christ, to get that out of here. And one day he's gonna pull all of the death and all of the pain and all of the brokenness. Not, he's not gonna pull us out of here. He's gonna pull the death and brokenness out of here and he's gonna bring himself here and we're gonna have pleasure and Eden with God. That's the biblical picture of hope. That we get to come back to earth, to salt, to light, to water, to Food, to experience all of it and all the good becomes only good there's a passage in the book of Romans where Paul is trying to explain to the Romans a little bit about the hope that comes from Jesus and up until now you may have read this through a we're going somewhere else mindset but take a minute with me and read this through a 
concrete mindset, a mindset that says the trajectory is here, a mindset that says the future is here on earth. Look at this passage. He says to the Romans, I consider that our present sufferings, all that's broken with the world, are not worth comparing, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed for us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed for the creation bodies earth all of it was subjected to frustration frustration all the bad all the pain all the hurt all the frustration is caused by sin that's what you're experiencing the way the earth doesn't function work the way it should the way it doesn't feel all part of the sin that was brought into the world by us into God's temple it was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. The earth didn't pick it, your body didn't pick it, but we picked it by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be liberated someday from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We are not going to go somewhere else and be free of this earth. One day the earth will be free of the brokenness. It will lose the decay, the rust will go off, and we will be whole again. Look what he goes on, he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. It's all been groaning as in the pains of, of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits, the first fruits of the Spirit, the earnest, the down payment of the Spirit of God groan inwardly in our bodies as we eagerly await for our full adoption when God brings the kingdom and the sonship the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. My friends, the future is here. God is going to come back here. He's going to raise you up from the ground here. We are going to live here, and all the bad will be gone. The, the bad now is the birth pains, and one day the birth will happen, and there will be joy. There will be joy just like when a baby's born. All that pain and frustration is just, it's mom walking down the hallway going, when is this going to happen? The earth is doing that. You're doing that. And Jesus says, that pain, it's nothing. That pain is nothing. That suffering is nothing compared to what happens when the baby's born. One day the baby will be born. One day Jesus will come back to this earth. One day our bodies will be resurrected. One day it will all come to fruition here. And you have a hope that you can see. Whatever's good will be great. Whatever's bad will be gone. Think about that. You don't have to figure out what life will be like up by the crystal sea. You can know whatever's good is going to blossom into something great. And whatever's bad is going to go away. When Jesus made the garden, when God made the garden, when the Spirit of God made the garden, it, when he put the idols in the temple, he said it was very good. And in Christ, the future is all very, very good. Surprise. The future's here, not there. I don't know about you. That changes things for me. It changes my hope makes it worth pursuing There's something special the implications are huge where we should all be surprised by this and what I want to do is I just want to 
give you an opportunity if you don't know Jesus as king to invite him into your life right now. Every person, you want this hope, you want to have this experience the way it was supposed to be, you gotta know Jesus. He is your savior. You have to invite him into your life. You have to decide by faith to follow him, to become a little version of him. And the scriptures say that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord or King and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we are saved. And that means that even though our bodies die one day, he'll resurrect him along with the world and that's where we'll spend eternity. But you have to know Jesus for that. And so I wanna just give you an opportunity right now to say a prayer by faith. And um, we're not gonna sing a song, guys. We're just gonna, I'm gonna end us. Um, but I'm just gonna say a prayer. And uh, I want you to just follow along with me. And if you've never embraced Christ as your savior, then I'll lead you through it in this prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you gave yourself to us. That you didn't just let us sit in the pain, but you, you took it for us. Father, I pray if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you and they haven't placed their faith in you, that right now they would just say this to you. God, just say this in their heart. Say, God, I know you are Jesus. And I want to put my faith in you. I want your spirit. I want you to save me. I want you to be my king right now. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Give me the spirit of God. Be my savior. Be my king. And help me to follow you from this day forward. You, you told us, God, that you stand at the door and knock. I pray right now that someone in here would just open up their heart. Just open up their heart to you and just invite you in as you have invited us to come and dine with you and be with you. God, we love you. We thank you so much that as we continue to grow that we, we're humble and, and we, don't, we don't assume we've got it all figured out, but we're still figuring it out and our hope is getting enhanced as we continue to trust you. I thank you for everybody that's here, everyone that's watching online. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you guys go, if you said that prayer, we're in a season of invitation and we want to know if you embraced Jesus as Savior. So before you go, would you take the Connect card that is underneath your chair, and if it's not underneath your chair, it's underneath someone else's, but before you go, would you grab it and fill it out and leave it on your chair, put your name on it, and then just put in the box at the bottom, I believe, so we know that you said that prayer today, that you placed your faith in Jesus today. And you could also take it out to the coffee or you could give it to someone that looks like they work here or whatever. Like, just take a minute because there's nothing more beautiful than more people joining the family of God. And during the season of invitation, we wanna see more people know him so we can celebrate what God is doing in, in our midst as a church. So before you leave, if that's you, take a minute, fill it out. Um, eternity hangs in the balance. Don't, don't worry if someone sees you. It doesn't matter. They want you to fill it out. Um, we are all here to grow and learn, so take the time. We love you guys. Um, this, this topic might make you start asking some questions. Questions like, what about paradise? What about, what about paradise, right? What about the, this passage of Scripture where Jesus says, um, today you'll be with me in paradise? 
Or what about this passage of scripture that says, you know, Jesus is gonna come and there's gonna be a rapture. You might start to wonder, well, wait a minute, where does all that take place and how does all that take place? Um, Come back next week and I'm gonna talk about those things. So we love you guys. We'll see you then. Thanks so much.